0: Hello and welcome to episode 70 of For Christ's Sake, Anakin. I'm your host, Matthew Nugebauer, coming to you on this 21st day of January 2021. It's also the Thursday after the second Sunday after Epiphany, if you're counting, and kind of jokingly saying it's the LXX episode, the Septuagint episode, the uh, Greek, legendary Greek Old Testament Hebrew Bible, Um, which is fitting because also today we're doing our our first installment of uh, my commentary on Charles Soule's Light of the Jedi, the first novel of the High Republic, and I'm very excited to dive into all of that, especially what this means for, what it means for ecclesiology and Charles Soule's understanding of the Church the Jedi, uh, what implications that might have. I don't think, I want to caveat that, I don't think Charles Soule himself is explicitly making an ecclesiology, but he has some interesting thoughts that I will dive into in the covering the first half, roughly the first half of Light of the Jedi. Um, I haven't actually finished this book; I'm still reading and commenting on it as I go along, which is a fun adventure. A little different from, if you remember, my uh, my commentary series on Master and Apprentice. From last fall. Uh, I had read that book, of course, but then I was returning to it. Um if you're wondering, uh yeah, I'm still tweaking the intro theme. So as you may have just heard, we're back to Anakin's theme at the start, but then at the end we will we'll get the go back to the Guardians of the Will suite. So stay tuned for, for that. Before I dive into my light of the Jedi commentary, I do want to bring in the poll list, haven't forgotten that. Of course haven't forgotten the events of the Skywalker saga by no means. As I said before in, in a few episodes ago, High Republic is a prequel proper. It is pointing to what will happen at the end of the end of the Republic and the rise of the Empire and that'll Probably probably play into my comments tonight as well. I do want to mention then uh, continuing Greg Pak's Darth Vader comic run, and it is again just as fantastic. I keep raving about it. It's it's amazing. It looked back at Attack of the Clones. It's set shortly after Empire Strikes Back. Looked back at Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith, and the events in Anakin's life and in Padme's life. But now it's looking forward, and this is the interesting, exciting part—or equally exciting, I should say—is that we uh, we're going to Exegol, <laughs> and it makes sense; it fits well within the story. We have uh, the the Eye of Webbish Bog, we have the Wayfinder, we have this lore that—here I go again—would have been fun to have included uh, more explicitly in the Rise of Skywalker. But was picked up, in, I believe, in the novelization in, in different, part, different media as well. And i uh, very glad to explore this backstory and flesh out the universe and flesh out the galaxy. Uh, and connecting, making Rise of Skywalker actually make sense with the rest of the saga. Especially as, as we understand Anakin's story and Darth Sidious' story. So, I, I'm excited to see what Vader finds on Exegol after <laughs> Empire Strikes Back. We already have Ochi of Bastoon connected into this story as well. So, yeah, like I, I when I came out of the theater, not the first time. The first time I was excited, but when I, the a few times after seeing Rise of Skywalker, I realized, okay, so here's here's the disappointment I'm sitting in. There's so much more that needs to be fleshed out. Uh, this might have been probably what a lot of people felt like after leaving the theater, after Revenge of the Sith, even. Uh, I hope not. After Revenge of the Sith, it's such a perfect film. But after, certainly after the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, people felt this needs to be uh, filled out more and dug into more. And we got that with Clone Wars. We got that with Legends novels. Now we have that with canon novels, but, again, chiefly the Clone Wars series. I I can see myself changing my tune on Rise of Skywalker as it gets shifted and reinterpreted in light of books like Greg Pak's Star Theater series, in light of a little bit, in light of uh, The Rise of Kylo Ren, that has a little, bit, a little bit of a hint of Darth Sidious at the end. Rise of Kylo Ren. By Charles Sewell. <laughs> Speaking of Charles Soule, so what? One of the things in in the background for me reading Light of the Jedi, there are two things I should say. There are two things in the background of me reading Light of the Jedi. Uh, specifically, from Charles Sewell. are his not his comic with with uh, who's Zack Snyder, not not Zack Snyder, one of the Snyders. Uh, his comic book, Scott Snyder, sorry. (laughs) It's not the, no, he is a DC guy too. And Scott Snyder, uh, undiscovered country is indie image comic that I've mentioned repeatedly on this show. And the themes undergirding that regarding America and American identity and American unity. And hearing that this resonant phrase throughout high Republic, we are all the Republic, Lena so's, catchphrase rallying cry to unity in the midst, not in the midst of, but in in her context in, in the face of actually great peace and prosperity and diversity. But for her, it's about expansion and it's about the great endeavors and, and how Charles Soule himself mentioned uh, that he's very inspired by Kennedy's Camelot. Um, the, the great endeavors of uh, the Peace Corps and space exploration and uh, this optimism that was brimming at that time for what the world could be. I mean, that that's when the UN, you could argue, was at its height. For what the world could be, for what America could be, and in the subsequent decades at all, it comes to the slow decline afterwards. That is very much paralleled. In the story, George Lucas is telling both from the you know with the the second trilogy, but especially again as the trajectory of the Jedi Order and of the Republic into decay, into corruption, into the enforced unity of the Empire. The second thing in the background now, at least, especially is yesterday's inauguration and. All the, the conflict and tumult about this transition of power from Donald Trump to Joe Biden. And was it going to actually go off? Was Trump going to leave? Uh, it turns out he did, eventually. He's now in Mar-a-Lago hanging out, doing what he did throughout his administration anyways. Um, the, the signs of decline and signs of hope. Its division and unity, and the question there being unity at what cost. And and I've I've been cl- pretty clear in my podcast, yes, even as a Canadian, saying, okay, well, what do I think of Trump? <laughs> you can go back and look at those things. I haven't uh, minced words there, but it's interesting. Yesterday, to hear these themes and, and knowing. This theme of, okay, we were divided, but America is better together and can actually bring hope and life to the world and light to the world. And I got to admit, I'm ambiguous about it. And by that, I mean, uh, I'm ambiguous about what Lena So might be selling here. In terms of with all the Republic, I'm ambiguous about the themes in Undiscovered Country that come up. So with Undiscovered Country, the premise is, first off, America has sealed itself from the world because as a way to address their their own divisions, they say, forget outside influences. We are going to let everyone inside the U.S. go to their separate regions and areas. And in the hopes that everyone will have equal resources, everyone will be able to explore just who they are, who they want to be, and, uh, and just prosper. And hopefully everyone will come together and, and prosper and find a way to heal these differences by doubling down on what makes people different. Heal the tensions, I should say. And the point there is that that's a mistake, that they end up actually creating a second ceiling where they, S E A L I N G, where they end up uh, going these these different these whatever these twelve different nations, if you will, end up fighting each other and competing with each other over resources because they represent such different visions and those visions of what America is, and those visions seem to be intractable. And the point that Sewell and Snyder are trying to make is that those visions aren't intractable, that people are people, and if you listen and learn, you can just you can come together and hopefully find a compromise. Part of the interesting premise there, and this will tie back into High Republic, with, with Undiscovered Country, the premise with Undiscovered Country is throughout the rest of the world there there's some airborne disease and this was well before covid happened but there's this an airborne disease that our protagonists are are all from people the people we're following around the united states are all from different parts of the world and they've come to the u.s to try and find a cure because they they think the u.s hasn't been affected and they've tried everything and They've come in, and I think where this is going is to say, okay, if America finds a way to unite itself, then it'll be able to be that beacon of peace and hope and democracy and and medical science (laughs) throughout the world. There is an interesting parallel there with the vaccine and how science, American companies and American scientists have been able to come together and both Pfizer and Moderna have been able to develop this vaccine in record time, we will see how that rollout comes about, uh, what complications there might arise. Here in Ontario, there are already complications. We're not sure what the numbers are uh, in terms of who's going to get what uh, and if we when we're, we'll get our vaccines. But I'm not too worried, not too nervous. I'm just aware that these things are never as simple. So that's what's in my mind in terms of the political situation, the themes from the inauguration yesterday. Another question I have then is, what about ecclesiology? And by ecclesiology, I do mean... Two specific things. I mean so traditionally ecclesiology means the study of the church, theology of the church, who the Christian people are, how we understand ourselves, our institutions, our organization, our common life as not not as Canadians or Americans, but as Christians. And that's an important distinction because there are two points Two aspects of ecclesiology. There's, it's called ecclesiology ad intra. I'm going to go for it and blow through these definitions here. Some Latin. Ecclesiology ad intra and ecclesiology ad extra. And the two are very closely related because, you know, when this was developed in the Middle Ages, the idea, so ad intra, well, let, me, let me back up and explain what those words mean. Ad intra means internally as the word seems to suggest, right? It means, do, how do we understand ourselves with images of the body of Christ and the communion of saints and uh, a sacrament of, of human unity, sacrament of Christian unity? What's the relationship to, then, to the Eucharist as a sacrament of unity, A lot of speculation about that, especially conflict in the Middle Ages. A lot of uh, convergence in the 20th century in different churches coming together and saying as an understanding that this thing we do on Sunday morning is the expression of our common life and the highest expression of our common life. And as Vatican II says, it's also the source. It's the way God brings us together is through this this waker and this this wine. And it's no wonder that even in an era of physical distancing, with everything just on our screens and we have the technology to do that, primarily, uh, Catholics, Anglicans, Lutherans, others, they've upheld we've upheld our, our Eucharistic services. And so that's you know, ecclesiology at intra. Then there's ecclesiology at extra, which, again, as it uh, as it suggests, the relationship to society, to uh, to politics, to public life. I'm struggling even with naming these things because the separation of church and state is really only. And and pluralism and the idea that you can have, be a church that's within something and then there's a society out there. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that that is what it is now, but it isn't what it was before. <laughs> and in the Middle Ages, when all these categories got developed, it tended to more mean at extra tended to more mean clergy, and then lay people it meant spiritual and temporal. And it was a bit more complicated. Right there were, you know, there was you know a town. You could hear the church bell, and once the church bell rang, everybody stopped their work and went to church to pray. And on Sundays, everything was shut down. And more importantly, more, more not to say more importantly, but more, uh, more significantly in the grand sweep 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 of history, there were there was, you know, the 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 power and influence that bishops and other church leaders leaders had, especially monasteries had in society over economics and over who got to be King, and who got to, uh, you know, have, you know, possess titles of Lordship and coronations were always church services. That's the interesting weird thing about the United States is their coronation yesterday. Had maybe a vague sense of uh, sense of prayer and God, and I definitely appreciated the humility of before judgment. That theme that ran through it, but the coronation, but but it it wasn't explicitly a church service, and that was intentional, and that was because of when America came to being was much after. Or was was in the process and very much a decisive step in the process of plural pl- pluralization I can say that word pluralization religious pluralization toleration diversity and and those are goods in in democracy is a it good it's just those uh people of faith that's that's complicated and it's complicated in undiscovered country Especially because the ceiling is anti-Catholic in in a sense, and I don't mean that uh, <laughs> it's trying to be anti-Roman Catholic. I mean, I wonder what Catholics would have felt about America cutting itself off. Maybe I should ask this in a different way. How do Catholics, especially more more I think more liberal-minded Catholics, feel about? America cutting itself off from the rest of the free democratic world when it elects a president who just wants to throw his weight around and you know, when they don't have universal health care, and all these institutions, when it, you know, their, their, their upholding of the rule of law is threatened, where, as here in Canada and, and the rest of the world rest of the democratic world, it isn't really. Um, a deeper question is: I don't just mean Catholics, but how do Christians feel about America first and making America great again? And as opposed to, say, the Pope in Rome, who is very clear about global unity and cooperation and solidarity. So, the you know. That and uh, you know, that's those are the issues that come up in undiscovered country a little bit. What we do see in undiscovered country is that there's massive protests and people are not happy at first and then they begin to accept it. And so, I do wonder if there are Catholics and Episcopalians and others in there saying, No, we want to be connected with our global human family, our global Christian family. Again, I wonder where they're going. It's clear that the, the second ceiling is meant to be a mistake. This is The first ceiling, is that going to be considered to be a mistake as well? I hope. So what does this have to do with Light of the Jedi? In the In Light of the Jedi, there's a different set of circumstances. This is, thankfully, and it's interesting, much closer to Christendom. This is what I was hoping to see, actually. It is much closer to Christendom than uh, the current situation or, say, in the expanse where you have uh, a minister come and help the UN, much closer than our own circumstances and certainly, definitely, of course, (laughs) much closer to Christendom than uh, the situation during the Empire and during even in the New Republic where Luke is free to do his thing, but here we see with the Great Disaster, who is first on the scene? And who is called to coordinate and lead this effort? It's Jedi Master Avar Chris. And the thing I was curious to see is what do other people think about it? What do civilians, what do uh, the, the Republic Defense Coalition officers, what do they think about it? And they are very deferential and they're very, very open, but it's also a little curious, a little, how do they get their power? How, how do I connect? What well, I don't understand. There's the interesting example of uh, how on the bridge uh, of, of the ship that they take, uh, at least that Avar takes, she's levitating and she's connecting with all the Jedi throughout the, the Hetzel system. She's coordinating it and the bridge crew look and say, Oh, that's weird. That's kind of strange, but that's the Jedi. They do their thing. We're going to trust them. And there's no question as to whether or not we'll cooperate. And it's a really fascinating contrast, of course, to what we see even in, uh, even in the clone wars, especially, but, uh, yeah, it's a contrast to what we see in the Clone Wars because, well, what we firstly what we don't see in the Clone Wars is Jedi meditating and levitating, and connecting with all the other Jedi coordinating a battle or whatnot. We see that in the EU with battle meditation, and that's interesting that they're bringing that back in. But what we see how the Jedi, by the time of the Clone Wars. How much the Jedi have fallen from this uh, tapping into the light that we see with Avar. That most of what the Jedi generals do is very understandable to the clones, and even to thinking of of Captain Tarkin, who of course becomes Governor Tarkin. He is all. I mean, we know interesting with Tarkin. This is an interesting example. He's actually quite respectful of of Vader. And of Darth Sidious, and of how their their mystical ways, even as he's committed to serving the 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 basically the communist not communist, the autocratic technocratic empire. They're not communist. They're much closer to capitalist fascism. But that's a whole other debate. The Republic is, yeah, it, it's a republic, and it's a Jedi republic. And what's the important point to make here is it actually is this mixed, porous relationship. There is, And, and Charles Soule is doing a great job of showing how, in some ways, the Jedi are, are doing their own thing, have a sense of self-understanding, while also being able to say, we are all the Republic. And Avar uh, Chris's meditation connection technique is a great example of this, in that it's clearly very much a Jedi thing, a weird mystical Jedi thing that's happening, where they're able to connect and feel and sense each other. Avar's image is singing their own song, that people who may not be as sensitive to the Force and aren't part of the Jedi Order, can't necessarily sing, but it's at the employ of this Republic mission to the Hetzel system to rescue civilians and to uh, hopefully stop this wreckage. I think of uh, Joss Adrin's plan. Going back to, this is around page 6770. He hatches this plan. It's crazy to to basically grab uh, was a, uh, there's a the flaming you know one of the pieces of the ship that broke apart that comes out of hyperspace it's careening towards the fruited moon and he he has a plan to stop it to harness it with the silk but it requires the force capabilities of the jedi force capabilities that he doesn't understand but still believes that are there. Requires uh, this team of four Jedi that are around him to actually grab and stop and keep it in place so that he can take his ship and get the silk. And he's not the, the silk tethers to, to, to grab the, the piece and stop it. Again, he's, he's not himself Force-sensitive, but he trusts... What the Jedi are, are doing and capable of. One of the most telling examples, and it's an interesting comparison and contrast with what we see in the first trilogy, is the meeting uh, between Chancellor So and and a bunch of Jedi as well as some other government ministers and the senator representing the Outer Rim from Sereno, I believe that's uh, that's present. Or that's prescient. So the the fact that there are Jedi in this meeting, that's that's common enough. That's common enough what we see in the first trilogy, definitely through the Clone Wars, to discuss the strategy of the war. Um, I mean, we see them very much in Chancellor Palpatine's office, Darth Sidious office. Of course, it's similar to how Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are the, the Chancellor's envoys, emissaries to Naboo. This is all related to them, connected to that. Again, I want to point out the difference uh, between, you know, you have scenes with, with Yoda and Mace Windu and whatnot in Darth Sidious' office. This meeting is in Monument Plaza, where, and they make a big point of, of the, the mountain the peak that's the peak is there that they've built around Coruscant is grown up around this mountain and the chancellor in her private musings makes this interesting reflection on how at once it's a symbol of choosing to allow nature to take its course, choosing to allow, uh, nature, its place, I should say, in respecting the growth of the Republic and basing the growth of the Republic on this naturally occurring thing that we could try and control or we could have a more harmonious relationship with, just like the Jedi and the Force. It's an amazing symbol of that, and yet it also can be a symbol of Uh, Coruscant and the, the mechanics and machinations of the Republic later the Empire engulfing, choking out, suffocating obscuring this naturally occurring phenomenon of this mountain or of the force it could go either way and it represents the choice either way on the part of what the chancellor wants to emphasize what Republic citizens want to emphasize, what the Jedi are willing to emphasize and tolerate, and abide by. In the Republic as a whole, and in themselves, it's interesting. Also, it is a neutral site. It's not this image of the you know the chancellor has a meeting and. Jedi are summoned to submit to the authority of the Chancellor. Of course, they do even in this, because she's called the meeting, but throughout Star Wars and in even our current political climate, and throughout history, is is having a meeting in your office, that's what says who's in charge. I think even the expanse, for example, the Secretary General of the UN is having, has taken over of a Sorella's office on the moon because that's the senior most office. It was her office and now it's this interim Secretary General. Similar type of thing. We see that in Bloodline. Like Claudia Gray goes into that uh, all throughout in terms of uh, if you visit someone else's, another senator's office, and Leia, Leia thinking about this, I think, you visit... Uh, another sen- Ransom's office, even if it's a friendly conversation working across the aisle, the fact that you have to make the effort to go to that person's office is an act of deference and a bit of submission in calling the shots. And I don't know if we see other meetings with Jedi in the Chancellor's office, but there's this interesting symbol here, of th- this this telling symbol of at least there's some mutual respect between the civil institutions and offices and practices of the Republic and the Jedi. And, you know, again, it's just telling, uh, in the Jedi Order, it's just telling, foreshadowing by contrast with where this is going, that, Again, I'm going to repeat this. This doesn't happen anymore by the time of the late Republic, by the time of the Clone Wars. Darth Sidious, Chancellor Palpatine, invites Jedi, the Dark Sith, Lord of the Sith, has Jedi in his office. And, of course, where does the Great Turn finally happen? The, the, the switch finally get flicked flipped rather is in that same office right where uh, Darth Sidious throws Mace Windu out <laughs> kicks him out of the office Anakin submits false to the dark side finally ultimately and uh, Darth Sidious executes order 66 it's where the where he can frame the Jedi for the coup uh, or the supposed coup and and make that story up, right? So, again, it's this fascinating contrast that does foreshadow where we're headed, but where we are. And and there uh, there is something to be said for this. There is something to be said for... It's not, to use was David Newhouse's phrase? Not David Newhouse's, John Newhouse's phrase. The naked public square that the empire does represent. That there is no faith except for the empire, in the empire. There is this neutral setting of nature and the choice to respect and work with nature or to one day obfuscate and quench it. And snuff it out. So fascinating imagery. I do want to conclude with one little comment. This goes into part two. Uh, The clearest statement we have of what I'm going to call Jedi ad intra ecclesiology. (laughs) Um, How Jedi understand themselves. It comes from someone far outside the Jedi. It comes from Marchion (laughs) Rowe, who is the main... Antagonist of this high republic of the novel, the leader of the Nihil, supposedly the the eye of the Nihil. But it it gives us clue, almost his ability to stand back and reflect on his adversary, his enemy, and uh, it gives us this interesting insight into something we don't think much about, something. Frankly, the first trilogy really goes at length to critique or to say has been corrupted. I'll read it and then I'll comment on it. This is page 152 of the hardcover. Other oh, little uh, further down. Marchion Rowe knew Kassav had never faced a Jedi. Neither had Marchion Rowe. But his family had a history with them. Interesting. I wonder what that history is. And he had grown up hearing stories. Even a few could destabilize or destroy the grandest aspiration. They could tap into something. It wasn't just the force. It was their order itself. It gave them a confidence, a structure, a willingness to make choices, to serve the larger purpose of spreading light in the galaxy. It made them bold and made them strong. And you could easily see this as Charles Sewell making a comment on, again, American unity. We are all the Republic. But here he's talking about what we could do the galactic unity of the Jedi Order and how the, the connection between The unity of the force and the unity of the Jedi, and that unity of the Jedi and the order, even the institutions, and that discipline, detachment, the the discipline of detachment, as we see reflected in Master and Apprentice, how that actually opens them up to an even greater light of the ability to respond to a great disaster like in the Hetzel system uh, it gives them this uh, this charity this uh, communion in which the uh, the the individual parts become or or the, the the collective becomes much greater than the sum of any sort of individual parts and that really does get to in this week of Christian unity, I should add that, really get to the impulse that as Christians we ought to have in terms of our different churches and our different conflicts within them. Conflict in itself is not necessarily a bad thing if it's a matter of being honest and clear about where we stand and what we struggle with and what we can't tolerate or what we can it's not unity at all costs it's unity for the sake of reconciliation it's unity that requires accountability but it's a unity that says we are not going to defend and hold on to me and mine we're going to be open to the wider needs of each other to the wider needs and hopes and desires and sensitive to the, the anguish and struggle of the rest of the world. Because we all live in this rest of the world, right? That ad intra, ad extra distinction, it isn't as important as you know, are we seeking to connect? Like I said last week, I'm going to finish it in the same way. We are in the midst of this global pandemic, just like the Jedi were in the midst of this great disaster. And the Republic was in the midst of this great disaster. Our ability to connect with each other in the ways we know has been questioned, has been limited. But there are still opportunities to connect. There's still opportunities, ways that we can reach out in healthy and safe ways. This is a scary time, this is a nervous time. This is a time of questioning and of wondering. Are we gonna use this crisis again to divide or to unite in compassion, in truth and justice, in hope and in charity? This has been episode 70 of For Christ's Sake, Anakin. Please give me a follow on Twitter at N-E-U-G 485 and follow on Instagram at M-N-E-U-G 1138. Thanks for listening. May the Force be with you always.